Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. Because I'm motivated by something bigger than myself. So I joined the CIA. And now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Here, my abilities contribute to our mission. Agency professionals have extraordinary integrity and exceptional talents. And every day, we do work that's incredibly important. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov careers to learn more and apply. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast, quarantine edition, number three. This is the third time, I think, that Wes, Chris, we've all been in different places. Right now, I am back in the podcast studio because I need to be here to actually record this thing. Chris, it sounds like you're at home, and Wes is also at home, but not his house, his second home, which is Chick-fil-A. This is the third time we've done this, right, guys? Yes. Yeah, Um, that's right. I am now in my. I am now outside of my home, actually. But I was, as we started recording, in the Chick Fil A parking lot getting my to-go breakfast. Because, uh, I mean, guys, there's nothing else to do right now. So, um, at the very least, I'm gonna enjoy my Chick Fil A. Yeah, absolutely, as you should. So we're in week three of this thing, uh, Chris. I'll start with you. What's new in the quarantine world of Chris Clark and the Clark family? <laughs> Uh, nothing. Nothing new. Uh, we've been carrying on about the same as, as when we checked in last week. We are still mostly confined to the house, although, um, you know, we've been going outside as we can. It's always a bummer. Like yesterday afternoon when it rained, it's going to go for a run at about 2. As soon as I stepped foot out the door, it started raining, so I ran in the rain for a minute. And then so as to not be dramatic, I came in. And uh, we weren't able to go outside a whole lot. But today, uh, I think the rain is going to hold off. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to be outside at some point, I'm sure, today. But we've just been, uh, you know, spending family time. Girls are doing school. I'm working most of the day. And then, uh, you know, getting out and going outside a little bit, hanging out. It's been good. Is it getting easier or harder being in quarantine? Um, You know, it's definitely not getting easier. I wouldn't say it's gotten harder. I, I, I did have the thought yesterday that, you know, how long are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. Is it going to get difficult at some point? I think the answer is probably, yeah, it's going to get a little bit more challenging just because even, even like going outside and doing the same things, you know, it's like how many times are, are the girls going to be satisfied with riding their bike? Like every day, uh, the evidence is right now. Yeah, they are. <laughs> They're going to be fine with it, but, but I might change. I don't know. So, um, you know, I think it depends on how long, but, but we've gotten along quite well. And I, I feel very uh, blessed and fortunate for that because, you know, we talked to some other families and stuff and they're going, you know, my household is falling apart or, you know, whatever. And we, we've been good so far. So hopefully we can keep it that way. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it or get too, uh, too high on ourselves for our efforts so far. That would make sense if your entire family was just as even-keeled as you are all the time, so that doesn't surprise me 
at all to hear. Uh, Wes, <laughs> quarantine, any new developments, and is it easier or harder than it was a couple weeks ago when we started? No, I mean, I'm, I'm fine, man. Like, I, I, I mean, I feel, I feel bad even, like, complaining because, like, the big picture, you know, obviously um, a lot of people right now have it way worse. From a just completely selfish personal standpoint, like, I really have hit that that spot where I just miss sports, you know, like I, I would, I would give, I would give like anything for just a midweek, like Braves versus a uh, Mets baseball game or a South Carolina Furman, you know what I mean? Just like anything uh, right now, sports wise, uh, you know, so that, that part, I, I miss that. Like I miss my, I miss my gym group classes. I miss being able to go like play softball because, that was like a little sort of just fun side, just sort of hobby type thing. But, mm-hmm. yeah, otherwise I'm fine, man. And <laughs> we we didn't plan this, but Chris and I have got to talk about this on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so, I, Pearson, I, I don't know if you saw, but did you see that we did our first ever Zoom meeting? Yeah, so I, I wanted to join in on that because it sounded like just sort of a live Q&A that you were doing with people that follow you on Twitter or subscribers to Gamecock Central or something. It was during the show, so I couldn't tune in. But I saw that you were doing it. Did did something happen in that Zoom meeting? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, so, so yes, I, and we're, we're going to do another one this week, I think. But, you, you know, ev- everybody, like teachers and, and people that are working from home, um, it seems like a vast majority of them are doing something on Zoom or – um, is it Microsoft Teams or something or Google Duo? I don't know. There's so many different apps that, that do essentially the same thing. But I was like, man, we should just hop on there. And so here, here's what I did. I, I, I signed up for the, the Pro Edition, which actually lets you live stream it on YouTube as well. Um, so what I did was I set it up to where – Anybody on Gamecock Central that was like a subscriber, I posted the actual link so that they could get in the actual meeting. Um, but then I also sent it out to YouTube and posted that um, as a free story and posted that on Twitter so anybody else could watch and, you know, that they could even put, um, you know, their questions in the chat on YouTube. So, um, dude, go, goes completely smooth, right? I've, I've never really done this. I don't know if Chris has ever really – I mean, I think he's maybe been in a couple of meetings for other stuff. But, yeah. um, we, we, you know, I'd never really hosted a Zoom meeting, definitely not a, a big Q&A or anything. So so it went along pretty smoothly. Um, looked like, a, you know, some people were watching on YouTube. We had a few people from Gamecock Central click in and were actually on there. But there wasn't really too many people that were actually clicked in. So it was going so smooth, I was like, man, I'm going to put this link on Twitter. Um, so I post the link on Twitter and it, it has this thing where you have to approve, uh, you know, people who are wanting to get in. So as soon as I post it on Twitter, it's just like ding, 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 like people trying to get in. So I'm like, approve, 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 approve. And so first, you know, Chris is sitting there trying to talk about Shiloh Sanders and this guy, rather than like put his questions in, you know, the chat part or um, wait to to give his opinion, this guy just starts talking. Oh, no. Uh, 
like talking over top of us. So, um, so I, I mute, I mute the guy and I thought on a zoom meeting that if you were the host, you had like control over all other people. So, um, if I muted him, it would just mute him. Mm-hmm. Well, I muted him. He kept talking. The system unmuted him when he started talking again. Oh. So he's just talking over it, talking over it. Then I, I guess there are just people who are so bored with their lives right now that they're just clicking through. Like, I don't even know what the term would be. It's not hacking because uh, it's a free open link, but they're just like essentially photobombing people's Zoom meetings. So th- we had at least two people get in. Um, one was just like yelling at the top of their lungs. Um, <laughs> one, one was trying to trying to share their screen to the screen with everybody else, and God knows what it, what he was about to show everybody. Mm. And then another guy. I'll let Chris explain um, his actions. Yeah. The, so the other guy, I don't know if he actually said anything. It was hard to tell. He. I can still picture it. It's almost a little disturbing. Like sometimes I randomly think of it. Maybe that was the point. But he he got on there. He was. I think he was the first person to. And and I learned yesterday. I read a story about it. this. is called Zoom bombing. It's very popular right uh, now. Okay, so photo bombing, Zoom bombing. Uh, yeah, I got it. It's, it's a Zoom. It's a Zoom bomb. And so he he popped in there. And I remember when he came on the screen, I was like, "All right, what is this?" Like, is this somebody? At first, I was like, this is one of our members messing with us. So this guy was dressed in um, basically, you know, like some S&M type of stuff, I guess you could say. Um, you know, some. He dressed some up like the Gimp chain. from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, he was sort of like that. Um, yeah. And then he had black, uh, black leather, black leather, like. Crisscross, you know, some chains going or something, something of that nature. And then he, uh, it, it looked like he was like, I don't know if he was like vaping or like smoking some weird pipe. It, he was, it was, it was the weirdest. I, I'm pretty confident it was the weirdest, like look and mannerism I'd ever seen because he just sat there and and didn't do anything. That's creepy. And uh, yeah, it was really creepy. So, um, but y'all, I read this story yesterday, and and this is. You know, what happened, I mean, that was pretty stupid and everything, but it really wasn't a big deal. But I read a story yesterday I saw on social media that people have done this, you know, and I didn't even think about this. So AA meetings, right, are are huge for people, you know, who have, um, you know, suffered from alcoholism or whatever. They're having to do those remotely now. And people have been Zoom bombing those. And, you know, that's horrible. Come on. You know, like – like going on there and like saying stuff about alcohol and stuff. I read a story about it. So it's apparently a problem. Um, and I don't know if, I don't know, they're recommending to do, you know, maximum security settings and all that, which, uh, you know, I'm sure we will from now on. And ours was sort of <laughs> like funny and all that, but that that's, you know, that's sort of crappy for those people to do that. But yeah, I had no idea that that was a thing. And then uh, it happened and apparently it's definitely a thing. That's, insane uh that's not where i thought that story was going at all i thought you were just going to say someone you know got in there and just started screaming profanity or something like that but this sounds uh i mean i guess there's nothing necessarily worse about that but it's definitely a little more creative 
maybe a little more yeah. upsetting for just like the casual people that are in the chat. But you said you're doing this again. So what are your what are you putting in place to prevent that from happening again? <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm probably not going to post the link on Twitter. Just leave it uh, to TIF. Yeah, yeah. I may I may try to find it because you I mean you can password protect it, but I mean how are you? Then I you know I'd have to be like DM me for the password, and then it becomes, um, you know that that's a headache. Uh, now I, I will say I, I realized after the fact there were some settings um, that I could have put in mm. place at, at least for the screaming and stuff. I, I thought because because it gave me the option to mute or unmute anybody that was on, you know, on the screen. I thought that meant I had complete control. There is an option that basically says the host can only mute or unmute. Yeah, you know, but it was a, just like muting for you so you couldn't hear him, but everyone else could keep hearing him or something? Well, no, I, I was muting them, but then they were able to just unmute themselves oh, right, right. Immediate, immediately. And, it's the worst and mute I button tell, ever. I, I know, right? And I, I couldn't tell. I was like, all right, is the person screaming the same person that – we are now seeing like it. It was mass chaos, and finally, because dude, I, I mean, I was just, I was so at that moment. At that moment, it was not funny at all. Looking back, it was kind of funny, but at that moment, I was like, <laughs> somebody is about to throw some porn on this screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, that's, that's kind of where I thought trouble. it was going. Yeah, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be in trouble, and if I wasn't worried about that aspect, and I could have just settled down for a second, I could have probably identified you know, which person, you know, which people it was and, and kicked them out. But because I didn't really know what I was doing, uh, <laughs> I finally just hit the end meeting button because I was like, we're we're broadcasting this out over YouTube. And then that YouTube video is embedded on our front page. I'm like, this, uh, this could turn bad. <laughs> so it, it was not great, but it could have been a lot worse. Sounds like the, the moral of the story. Yes, looking looking back, yes. it could have been far worse, and it could have been not funny, but um, it's at least somewhat funny. It was definitely funny, and I, I know not for you and Chris and Shu and people <laughs> over there, it wouldn't have been funny, but if it had gone worse, it probably would have been even funnier, at least uh, this far removed, because this was, what, last week? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, definitely, yeah. I definitely would have laughed if it had been worse, but I'm glad for your sake that it wasn't. You didn't have to do any more cleanup than... Then I guess you had to with the GIMP. Um, that's so weird. I mean, I, I guess no matter what the setting is, there are going to be trolls that, that try to invade. So I, I hope you don't have any more of those today. But it sounds like you have at least figured out how to keep them from overrunning the broadcast, even if they creep in every once in a while. I, I think so. Um, we'll, we'll find out. Tune in. <laughs> what time? Um, wow, that's a good question. When when do we want to do this? Maybe Thursday afternoon, Chris? Tomorrow afternoon? Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Yeah, we're Tomorrow, recording this Wednesday morning, uh, so the podcast will definitely be posted by Thursday afternoon. Yeah, so Thursday yeah. afternoon, another another Zoom uh, experience. Another Carolina Zoomcast. <laughs> yeah, that's what Zoomcast, I like it. Cool. Well, that's great. I, I appreciate all the share. I, I had seen, like I said, I saw you post a link, and then I saw you make some comment about it going some kind of unexpected way, but I wasn't really sure what that meant, and that certainly was not what my expectation was. So I appreciate you uh, you sharing that with me. And then for people that were part of the 
Zoom, Zoomcast, broadcast, Zoom broadcast, whatever you call it, that were confused about what was going on. I'm sure they appreciate you explaining what exactly the heck it was that they were <laughs> looking at that was shared on their screen last week. Um, that, that's kind of what we're uh, what we're resorting to now in, in week three of quarantine and week three of no sports. Wes mentioned that he's aching for even just like some relatively unexciting midweek baseball action. We are still getting a very, very slow IV drip of football news. Each of the last two weeks we've had one commit to talk about and a little bit of just recruiting news for South Carolina, even though there's a moratorium on in-person visits, obviously, as we continue to practice social distancing. Uh, this week, it's not as good a news as it was the last couple of weeks. Of South Carolina now has a decommitment for the class of 2021, and that's DeMarco Williams. What do you guys know about how and when exactly this transpired, Chris? Yes, I mean, DeMarco was an, an early commitment. Um, technically, he was the first you know, commitment of the class, if you don't count, you know, Labossier Carroll last year was the first commitment and then backed off. So for a time, the commitment list was empty. DeMarco Williams jumped on, really wasn't expected at the time when it happened. Um, and, and from what I've gathered, Pearson, it just, it really looks like a situation and sounds like a situation where he just sort of committed too early, you know, um, don't think he was really ready. Of course, it's sort of common nowadays for kids to commit somewhere and, and continue talking to other schools, continue picking up offers. And, you know, of course, as soon as he committed to South Carolina, he started picking up other offers. Arkansas, Ole Miss, Florida State, some others offered him. And I think as time went on, DeMarco and his family uh, members just decided, hey, you know, committed a little bit too early, want to keep looking around a little bit go ahead and back off so we can open up the process. And I think that's really what happened. Um, I don't know that South Carolina is out of it really per se. I mean, DeMarco hasn't really, uh, he hasn't really said anything, didn't really want to talk about it since. But I think that's what it came down to. And um, I guess time will tell, you know, if South Carolina remains in that race, gets back in it, it's sort of hard to tell at this point. Yeah, Wes, when we see people decommit right before signing day, it's a pretty safe bet. They're not going to ultimately end up choosing that school because there's a reason they're decommitting that late in the game. But, I mean, what what do you make of, I mean, commitments or decommitments, just either way, this early? I mean, is this, I, I know that some people will differentiate between verbal commits and hard commits, and I don't really understand the differentiation. Y'all just kind of log everything either as a commit or as a signing. Should Carolina feel can, uh, Carolina fans feel one way or the other about both his commitment a couple months ago and his decommitment today? No, you know, I, I think um, you can't really get too high or too low if you're a South Carolina fan right now over this stuff. Um, you know, if a big-time guy commits, I, I think you can feel excited about it. But um, obviously that doesn't mean he's definitely going to sign. And, um, you know, I think it, it's so early. And like Chris said, this was a situation where – to me, when a commitment comes a little bit out of nowhere, um, uh, you know, sometimes that means maybe a guy jumped the gun. Um, generally, also something else I look for is uh, th does someone commit when they maybe only have a handful of offers or, or maybe when South Carolina is their biggest offer? And then, uh, you know, of course, as time goes on, uh, they pick up more offers, they pick up more big offers and, and start to maybe look around um, you know, at those other schools. So, you know, as far as South Carolina and this class and, and what this means, I don't really think it's a situation where, you know, you, you get too worried about it. They're still going to, I'm sure, fill their, their DB needs. And, and generally, you know, defensive back has been 
a position that we've seen South Carolina focus in on during the summer because uh, that's when their camps are and uh, you know that's a position that they you know they place a priority on camp workouts for all the positions but certainly defensive back is one where um, that's a big priority of course this year um, you know who knows if we'll even have camps but um, that's a position that generally has has sorted out a little bit later so it, it was kind of a little bit against the grain for South Carolina that they already had two defensive backs committed in the first place. And, and now obviously they only have one in uh, Marcellus Dial, the junior college kid from GMC. That we're in quarantine and that people don't have more sports to talk about. makes me think that people will probably overreact to it and, and talk about it too much just because there's not a whole else other than that sort of going on. Uh, is there anything else going on in the recruiting world? I know Carolina didn't get a commit. Obviously we just talked about the one D commit. What else is going on uh, specifically in the world of recruiting? I'll ask you guys both a little bit more on on what the virtual meetings mean in terms of the team that's in place but just because recruiting is the lifeblood of college football and there's nothing else worth talking about in college football is there any other positive nugget to balance out the decommit for South Carolina fans this week Chris um you know I I don't know if there's anything to balance it out in terms of you know I don't know if there's a commitment coming this week for sure or anything like that I think there's some guys at South Carolina um, you know, is in a decent position with or battling with. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys, honestly, Pearson, are guys that I think it's a good strategy and a positive development for South Carolina if they can push some of these decisions, some of these guys that they're in on until later. Um, just so, I mean, first of all, we don't know, really don't know anything about the actual football season. We don't know when in-person recruiting is going to begin. Um, I really think it's going to be later in the process from just sort of the way the winds are blowing. I don't think we're going to, you know, next month, for example, I don't think we're going to see a bunch of kids hitting campus um, for recruiting purposes or the coaches going out on the road. I think that stuff's going to be later. But South Carolina needs to begin the season at some point, whenever the country begins playing football, uh, whenever that may be. That needs to happen. They need to go have some success on the field to build some momentum. You know, we knew that going into this class, it was going to be more of a challenge. South Carolina won four games last year. They had a poor season. And also their head coach was very publicly placed on the hot seat by administration. And so uh, just a lot of factors went into that that made it already difficult for South Carolina in 2021. Then you sort of compound it by, okay, you can't go on the road. And, okay, what about summer camps? Are there even going to be any? You know, so you got all these different factors. All that to me adds up to if this is going to be a later cycle for South Carolina in terms of gaining commitments and things, I think that that's really a positive, all things considered, for them. So uh, nothing imminent as far as scheduled, you know, announcements or anything of that nature. I think it's just about trying to continue to work on it, trying to keep these relationships going, and then riding it out for as long as possible until, you know, all these situations sort of get cleared up as far as when we're going to play football again. Yeah, and frankly, a lot of it is a moot point if South Carolina recreates what happened with the football season last year, and if they want to avoid that, they're going to have to get a lot better this offseason. That is a lot more difficult when you don't have spring practice, when the timeline of when fall camp and when summer workouts can start, You know, and, and like you're saying, whether or not football will even be played obviously makes this a, a lot more complicated issue, but maybe one small kernel of hope in terms of South Carolina's prospects for improving this current team so that it even matters who the staff wants to try to bring in for 
future years, is that the SEC has approved virtual meetings between coaches and players. I, I kind of thought this was already happening, to be honest, Wes, so I didn't. I, this didn't seem like a, a big deal to me. And then I was like, oh, wait, they, they couldn't do this? Uh, they were allowed to be in contact because I guess they still had, I mean, at least summer workouts and things like that. Like those still could have theoretically gone on, I think, with individuals. I don't know. My, my understanding was very unclear. So I was surprised to find out that this wasn't already a thing. But since it is now a thing, Wes, what does this mean for college coaches and specifically for South Carolina? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's something that, is somewhat helpful just to um, maintain a little semblance of you know normalcy as far as what uh, what you would normally do on a day to day basis during uh, this time of year. Now, obviously, a, a big part of meeting, you know, I think during spring practice is to correct, and, and you know, you're you're going to practice one day, and then you have the film from that prior practice and then you're going over it and you're correcting what you did wrong. And then you're trying to uh, execute that concept a little bit better the next day. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if necessarily you get near what you normally would out of this uh, just because you're not actually watching, you know, the most recent film of you going to play and then you're not able to actually go physically um, do it and sort of combine all those elements. Um, now, that says, you know, South, South Carolina did get five practices, so that's five practices of film they can go back on. Obviously, um, they can pull film from last season. They can pull Colorado State film from, uh, you know, Bobo's time there as well. So there is, I believe, something you get out of it. Um, I mean, I, I just don't know if it's anywhere close to the same as, as meeting uh, in person. But, hey, at least this is there. At least it's available. Um you know, I thought about this from a general sense. Um, if all this was happening, as as disruptive as this has been um, to all businesses, um, at least all this is happening at a time when uh, there's a lot of businesses, including you know college football, that you have the technology available to very easily hop on a computer. Hop, you know, the guys can hop on their phones even and, and get in the meetings. So at least from that standpoint, um, it, it is a blessing that they're able to do that. Are they doing that via Zoom? I don't – do you know if it's uh, specifically Zoom, Chris? I do not know what they're using. I don't know if they have some – already had some software that they use internally anyway. I, I do not know. Mm. Well, I, I was just wondering um, if they were going to have to see any GIMPs during their, like, defensive meetings or anything like yeah, that. Let, let's hope let's hope uh let's hope that the people the uh I would assume the grad assistants and folks like that are responsible for sort of getting all that technology set up. So let's hope that they uh for their sake and for everybody's sake <laughs> yeah. they, they don't have uh, a gimp showing up mm -hmm. on there. Uh, <laughs> as long as they don't post it on Twitter, I think they're good. <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah, I guess I can't imagine yeah. that they would end up doing that. That's, that's sharing too many State secrets. Uh, just as a practical example, and this is, I, I'm throwing this out there, but I'm asking, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there as an example, but it's a question. So I need you, Chris, or you, Wes. I know I'm not supposed to do that because you're remote and you don't know which one of you is supposed to answer, but I don't know which one of you is better equipped to answer this. So I'm just going to ask it vaguely and say, here's a scenario. Ryan Helensky's going through the playbook, which he already would have been doing had South Carolina not been allowed to have these meetings. He comes across a set that's 
intriguing or confusing or he's curious, you know, okay, I, I see this route combination. Like what's how many, is this a five-step drop progression for me? Is this a seven-step drop? What's my primary, you know, all that stuff. He's got some questions about a particular set, play, formation, whatever. Now he can take advantage of these meetings to say, hey, Coach Bobo, I had a couple questions about this. Like help me work through this. Was he not already allowed to do that? Like, if this were April 1st, well, let's say it's, it's April 8th. Let's say it's a week from now, and South Carolina's already had the spring game, so spring is over. They're into, I guess, kind of a moratorium before summer workouts start and before fall camp starts. Would he have been allowed to just, like, text Mike Bobo and be like, hey, I'm confused about this? Yeah, see, I, I don't – I don't. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, pass that off. I'm taking one for the team. I am not sure to answer your question. That That is a good question. Um, my understanding is that they weren't allowed to, uh, previous to this you know, ruling that began earlier this week where they could, on Monday, where they could meet remotely with their team, you know, they weren't allowed to have, like, meeting time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if there could be any communication at all you know, uh, in terms of that type of stuff. I know the players The players had some resources they were given by the coaches, whether it was workout stuff, whether it was, you know, they, they always, they always even, even when things were open, they had access to, like, their playbook. They had access to practice film that they could watch and, and check out on their own. So they have those resources. I don't know specifically what the rules are on whether, whether it's open season or not, actually. I don't even know as far as, hey, coach, what about this? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are, you know, in terms of involuntary, you know, scheduled meetings, there are rules as far as how many hours you can do those types of things, how many hours you can do voluntary stuff. So I don't know where that falls. It's a good question, but I'm not sure. So in some ways this could help South Carolina if these young offensive players in particular, or I mean just all the offensive players, I guess, because it's a new system, have more opportunity to reach out and spend time both with the playbook, just the mental side of the game, and talking to Mike Bobo and talking to, I guess, their specific position coaches to work some of the stuff out where they wouldn't normally have had this time in April and May, will that end up being an advantage for Carolina, Chris? Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly helps more than not having it to have some type of ability to, you know, however they're going to structure the meetings, putting stuff on the board, you know, running clips, you know, that that's going to be more helpful than not. You know, and you're right. I mean, they they don't have that after spring practice ends. Really, the players are just doing stuff on their own. Then they're going into player run practices. Then you're going into the summer, you know, off season workout program with strength and conditioning. So it just changes the timeline. You know, obviously it would have been more beneficial to South Carolina to be out there actually having spring practice. You know, that's that's the more beneficial thing, especially when you're trying to install an offense. But this is better than nothing. I mean, if if, uh, if the conference NCAA come back and said, look, you, you can't meet at all. There's absolutely nothing you can do. Um, I would imagine schools, you know, would have really fought back against that number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, you know, the SEC made this ruling to allow them to do that. And really it, it makes sense. I mean, the players need to stay engaged. There's no downside to it for anyone. Cool. Well, that's good. Good job, NCAA. That's two straight things you've done well. That the uh, We haven't even talked about, I guess we don't do – really spring sports on here, but, I mean, just to mention it, as the, another thing that the, the NCAA has done well here is giving those spring sport athletes that missed this spring season an additional year of eligibility, provided the school is 
you know, willing and able to pay for it and things like that. Um, and, and by the way, this was NCAA, not just the SEC, that made this ruling. Or did the NCAA, in terms of the virtual meetings, that was something that was blanket across the NCAA, not something that was allowed and then further elected by individual conferences or schools, correct? Yeah, that, that uh, was yeah. something that was added. Because, uh, you know, and by the time we're doing this, this may have changed, but I, I saw some talk on Twitter – I believe that was yesterday from some AC people that cover the ACC talking about why has the ACC not, you know, done this yet. So um, I, I thought, I, I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. It, it makes, it makes total sense. Um, you know, why wouldn't you? Uh, so I, I'd imagine maybe the ACC has approved it by now, but uh, to me that, that was very odd. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I guess the ACC clearly doesn't care about football since they're all terrible except for Clemson, so, so maybe that's why they didn't even think about it. It doesn't really matter for them. Um, and, yes, that's just a shot at the ACC. Why not? You know, we have the opportunity. Let's take it. Um, in other football news, not exactly football news, but the football quadrant of the Gamecock Central greatest Gamecock athlete bracket is now in the Elite Eight. No, sorry, in the Sweet 16. The Elite Eight's going to be next. We're, we're picking the matchups for the Elite Eight. Now, when the three of us discussed this last week, we sort of went through and we did our own picks, and we're going to continue to do our own picks, but first want to refresh everybody on where we stand right now and encourage you to go vote. This is free, right, Wes? People just have to go to the Fighting Gamecock Forum, and they can vote on all four quadrants of the bracket, but we're going to focus specifically today on football. Yes, that is, uh, that is the case. It is 100% free, and uh, I believe you have to like sign in to vote so you you would need to like get an account but you don't have to subscribe perfect and if they get an account and they sign in then they can easily sign up for the newsletter which is also free and also still chock full of all sorts of good information and content again even though despite the fact that we're in quarantine i was talking to chris about this when he called in this morning right before we started recording and wes i imagine it's kind of the same for you chris and i agree that we're at least as busy as ever if not busier, despite the fact that we're in quarantine, which is a little bit frustrating because it feels like everyone else is just on vacation, like watching TV, and that sounds really nice. But on the other hand, I do appreciate that I'm busy, or else I feel like I'd be going a little bit stir-crazy. Uh, what's your level of busyness relative to, like, a normal April 1st? No, I, I mean, I, I would honestly say it's it's as busy as ever, um, which I'm, I'm actually kind of thankful for. Um means I still have a job, and means I'm not as bored as I would have been. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, it, it's fairly busy anyway, and I'd say it, it's been about the same, if not a little bit more. And obviously we've been trying to to dig a little bit deeper and um, think of some other content ideas for everybody. And um, I'm trying to work on these quarantine conversations that I'm trying to get off the ground and, mm-hmm. and get some, bi- some big-name folks for that that I'm working on. So, um yeah, it's been it's been busy, man, but that's a, that's a good thing. Well, that's great. Yeah, so all that to say, there's plenty of content on GamecockCentral.com, the newsletter, this bracket, and, of course, if you're a subscriber, you get, I mean, even more stuff. That goes without saying. It's just way, way, way better. But even if you are just a free member, you can go vote on this bracket. You can subscribe to the newsletter and listen to this podcast because this podcast is free. We just appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe if you listen to the podcast and like it. Quick update on the bracket. Round two. The matchups, as voted on by the people. Again, we're going to get into what the three of us picked, which is a little bit different than how the people have picked so far. But the population, the populace, picked 
George Rogers against Stephon Gilmore for round two. Alshon Jeffrey against Marcus Lattimore. Connor Shaw against Sterling Sharp. And Melvin Ingram against Jadavian Clowney. Of those matchups, George Rogers predictably prevailed. Marcus Lattimore predictably prevailed. Connor Shaw upset. Six seed over three seed Sterling Sharp. I know somewhere in the world right now, Jay Phillips is shaking with rage. He does not yet know why. But that is why he's the biggest Sterling Sharp fan I've ever known in my entire life. And the last one, Jadavian Clowney vanquishing Melvin Ingram. So we have George Rogers versus Marcus Lattimore. Ouch. And Connor Shaw versus Jadavian Clowney. I have a feeling I know where that one's going to go, but that's still kind of an ouchy type of matchup. Where we ended last podcast, we just picked the first round, and we also had George Rogers against Stephon Gilmore, Jadavian Clowney against Melvin Ingram, Sterling Sharp against Connor Shaw. And Marcus Lattimore against Alshon. Oh, wait, did we pick the exact same? Yeah, we did pick the exact same. Dang it. All right, we're not that original or, or that creative. But I will start with you, Wes. Mm-hmm. Is the first matchup, George Rogers against Stephon Gilmore, going to go the same way as the popular vote? Yes. Probably 3-0, right? So last time... The Stephon Gilmore over Tommy Suggs argument, I mean, that's close anyway. There's a reason that it was the 8-9. And we kind of laid out the case for why Stephon Gilmore, even though his on-the-field impact isn't close to George Rogers, frankly isn't close to Connor Shaw, you know, Melvin Ingram, Jadavian Clowney. Of the last eight guys in this quadrant of the bracket, you can probably say he had the worst statistical career at South Carolina, but the impact that he has had, that he had, you know, both in his playing days in terms of what he meant for the boon in recruiting that he represented, being Mr. Football in the state of South Carolina, being the first of five straight, and really being the guy that ushered in this era of just talent-rich football teams at South Carolina. And then what he's done afterwards, going on to have a nice NFL career and to win... uh, Defensive Player of the Year just a couple of months ago. The entirety of his career and what it's meant on and off the field for South Carolina, I think, I mean, that's certainly what, for me, got the vote over Tommy Suggs. And I think George Rogers is still correct here, but it's one of those, I I feel like the vote should be 2-1 because, again, just what Gilmore represents. But it sounds like, Wes, you're going, George Rogers definitively, no questions asked. Yeah, I think you have to, man. Um, Love Stefan. Um Stefan, you know, he's great in the community there in Rock Hill as well. Um, there's, there's nothing – I can never say a, a bad word about Stefan, but he's he's up against George Rogers. So, um, I mean, the dude rushed for 5,000-plus yards so and won a Heisman Trophy. <laughs> to, to me, it's just uh, – it, it's, it's a tough matchup for Stefan. <laughs> All right, Chris, go ahead and cast the second vote for George. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. You know, uh, um, I think that makes sense. You know, when you're getting down, I mean, everybody that is in this bracket could have a case made for him, you know, or her if we're in other sports, but for football, him. Uh, and and so, it's not like I don't want to say you can make an argument for somebody. And it's just oh, that's just totally wrong, you know. And and some of it may come into. Maybe there's some younger people. I mean, I never saw George Rogers play. You know, he played before I was born. Now, I can go back and watch some tape, and I can talk to some people, and you can look at what he did. And I think that's what you have to go with here. 
just in terms of what he did. Like Wes said, you look at the numbers, you look at the, the Heisman Trophy, uh, that's something that a lot of schools don't have a Heisman Trophy winner. You know, first-round pick. I mean, there's just a lot of things there. So I would go with George as well. All right, fine. I'll make it a clean sweep. Uh, yeah, Heisman Trophy, all that stuff. I, again, I didn't get to see him play. He was playing a long, long time before I was even born. He was great. Yeah, sure, fine. George Rogers, yeah. And, and you know what? I, I was looking at the numbers the other day because Jay and I were – we weren't arguing about it, but we were having a similar conversation. I, I think – I don't remember if we had one of you or if we had Colin on last week to talk about the football part of the bracket on the halftime show and had a similar conversation where I was making the case for Stephon Gilmore, but uh, maybe I'm overdoing it. I'm just being a contrarian. We'll just go George Rogers 3-0. I really apologize. Stephon's one of my favorites. Uh, next matchup, Jadavian Clowney versus Melvin Ingram. Clowney, the two-seed. Ingram, the 10 seed. Chris. The yeah, people chose it, it, Clowney. But I, yeah. I, this feels like it's it's closer than a 210. Yeah, I mean, you, you could make a, a good case for, for Clowney to be, or for uh, Ingram, rather, to be a higher seed than that, certainly. But, um, you know, I got to go with Clowney. I mean, it's. There's some similarities, you know, at times, even with production. I mean, Melvin Ingram's a first-round pick, too. He's playing quite well. He's got some of that freakish athleticism. But Clowney, I think there's a few things that just put him over the top. You know, he was the number one overall NFL draft pick, which, again, not many you know, not many people can claim that. Not even many schools can Only claim that. Only one guy per year, in fact. <laughs> this is correct. And so, <laughs> um, you know, he was the number one. You know, it's very rare for a guy to go from being the number one, a consensus number one prospect in high school and then go on and play his career for three or four years or whatever it may be and then go on and be the number one NFL draft pick. You know, you may look at it and go, oh, that happens all the time. No, it doesn't. It's it's rare, in fact. Do you happen um, to know how many look, times? I'm looking it up right now to see if I can uh, I don't. I don't. Find I have that out. I have in the past. I just don't know the numbers off the top of my head. But, you know, if you go and look at it, it just doesn't happen a ton. Um, and so Clowney did that. And he largely, you know, or, or maybe not even largely, maybe all the way lived up to the hype. I mean, he, he made a huge impact from his freshman year on. Um, you know, guy that played during the, you know, he played during the golden years of Carolina football. Um, made a huge impact as a freshman, was number one NFL draft pick, was a five-star, he's an in-state guy. He set the Death Valley sack record, you know. I mean, just all sorts of stuff where, you know, I think it, it just it makes a lot of sense for him to, to carry through. Taking nothing away from Melvin, but um, I, I still think it's a clear winner with Clowney for me. Okay, all right, so I found a list, and this is this was published after the 2014 draft and went back to 2000, so... Unless it's happened in the last five years, Clowney is the only one this century, this millennium, to do it. There's a lot of uh, number, uh, excuse me, not number. There's a lot of top ten overall picks. For example, Leonard Fournette was the number one recruit in the country. He was drafted number four overall. Uh, obviously, Clowney uh, one and one. And there's some here. Let's see. Uh, Andre Smith was the number one recruit in the country. He was drafted number six overall. Eugene Monroe was the number one recruit in the country. He was number eight overall. Adrian Peterson, number seven overall in the NFL draft. Ernie Sims, number nine overall. So there's a lot of Vince Young, number three overall. There's a lot of guys that went in the top ten. Clowney's the only one to do one and one. Again, unless one of those happened in 2015, 16, 17, 18, or 19. 
which I don't know. Y'all would have to tell me. And other than that, it hasn't happened since 2000. So, yeah, rarefied air. What you think, Wes? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I even – I just went back and, and, and looking through some of Melvin Ingram's numbers um, just to see if there was maybe a, a case. I, obviously, you know, I, I my best case for, for Melvin is sort of what he did uh, – as a senior and sort of I was trying to compare that to, you know, Clowney's production obviously dropped off quite a bit as a junior. Um, but still, even, even with that, he still had 24 career sacks um, in, in three years, which is less than, than Melvin's 21 and a half, uh, you know, in a full career. Um, Clowney had a, a good bit more tackles for loss. Clowney had, more total tackles, um, you know, just, I think everywhere now, now Melvin's last two seasons, um, if you look at those, a combined 19 sacks as a junior and senior, um, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. But just at the end of the day, Clowney, Clowney meant so much to that defense, um, you know, and, and as far as stuff that just doesn't show up in the stats, the fact that I think we talked about this last week, the fact that opponents had to literally go into each game saying we have to know where number seven is on every single play that we run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm sure they were very aware of where, you know, Melvin Ingram was as well, but um, there's no doubt number. I mean, this, this is a generational talent. Um, some people say Clowney is the best, high school football prospect, um, you know, of all time, or at least since these things have been ranked, like since the rivals era. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's clowny all the way. The only counter here, do y'all keep track of what the voting breakdown is specifically? Colin has it somewhere. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I'll have to ask him. I, I feel like this one will be close because I, I mentioned this last week as Clowney was matched up against Debo, and I, I think one of us gave Debo. It wasn't an honorary vote. Like, Debo deserved the vote, but I, I think the case for that is Clowney, even though he was amazing and even though South Carolina fans appreciate him and respect him, I never felt like he was beloved in the same way pretty much everybody else on this list was. Melvin Ingram, Sterling Sharp, Connor Shaw, Marcus Lattimore, Ashon Jeffrey, Stephon Gilmore, and George Rogers all feel a little more loved, a little more liked than Clowney. And I, I don't know, there was always sort of a, a distance. And I don't know if it's because everybody knew from the moment he set foot on campus that he was three years and gone and he was just going to go to the NFL and he was going to be great. And again, there was sort of an appreciation, but there was a difference in terms of the connection or lack thereof. And I'm not saying this because Clowney was a bad guy or the fans didn't like him. Uh, I don't know, Wes, am I overstating it? Or do you feel like there was some level of disconnect between the fan base and Clowney? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I've never really, I've never really thought there was a disconnect. But uh, you know, as you say it, maybe, maybe compared to these other guys, uh, maybe a little bit. By the way, I, I actually got the numbers for you. What, what, um, what percentage do you think the fans would vote Clowney over Ingram? I would say like sixty forty. <laughs> it is the vote was eighty five point six percent to fourteen point four. Wow. So, 
No, again, um, if, if it's just a, it, maybe people were voting like it's just a who is the best, because I guess that's technically what the prompt is, but I know people get emotional with their votes, as they should, because that's one of the fun things about sports and college athletics specifically, is that so much emotion is involved. But I don't know. I, just, I think a lot about his junior year and fans just complaining about him not caring about winning, not caring about the team, you know, sitting out of the Kentucky game, took so much flack for that. And a lot of, I mean, it was unwarranted. The guy was hurt. He had, what, bone spurs in his foot and bruised ribs and things like that. So it was reasonable for him to miss time. But And it's it's not even his fault that so much of the national conversation heading into the season was, well, he should just sit out the year so he doesn't get hurt and he can still be the number one overall pick. And then I think fans took that personally. And whenever it seemed like he was taking a playoff, you know, nobody ever talks about Marcus Lattimore or Alshon Jeffers, Stephon Gilmore taking a playoff. I'm sure those guys did, you know? You just don't call attention to it. But people would criticize Clowney for that. Even now, I've heard Carolina fans criticize Clowney for, you know, holding out and demanding a big contract in the NFL. It's like, oh, yeah, he never cared about winning. And I'm like, that is, that that to me seems completely unfair. But I'm just, I'm trying to make sense of what I feel like I hear people saying about Clowney, which, again, is just sort of an emotional disconnect. But I don't know. I mean, I, I you you may be on to something, man. I think, I think the relationship is a little bit more complicated um, than it is, and again, the the guys on this list, man, are like the all time best. So, you know, we're we're really trying to having to split hairs, but I, I think, you know, with, with the latter, you're talking about Connor Shaw, who is the all time winningest quarterback, and and basically um, didn't really uh, ruffle any feathers. Was very, you know, was by the book. Did everything was asked of him, you know, and, and not that, not that Clowney, again, like you said, not that Clowney is a bad guy. I'm not even trying to hint at that, but more so the fact that you never had any of these things you're talking about thrown in Connor Shaw's direction at all. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the toughness that Shaw displayed playing through injuries and, and just the fact that he was the guy running the offense during the best run in, in school history. Um, you know, Marcus Lattimore, one of the most all-time beloved players in, in school history. And, um, you know, you, you're, you're talking about, I believe, probably the biggest fan favorite maybe we've, we've ever had at, at this school, at least in modern yeah. times. So um, it, I, I think it's less, it's less of a complicated relationship with some of the other guys. Whereas there there are some differing opinions when it comes to Clowney because but but like you said man he the guy was in a spot where he he came in probably at, at least physically in NFL ready mm-hmm. you know like that that's just how how I mean that, that's such a strange spot for an eighteen year old kid to be in that you're the best player in the country and you don't even really have to work right. near as hard as anyone else, as any of your other peers. So, you know, if you're a coaching staff, do you have to treat Clowney a little bit differently? You know, maybe some old school coaches would say, no, you can't. Uh, but I say, yes, you, you do. Well, if you um, want other NFL-ready guys to come to your school, you better believe that those guys talk. And if Clowney's like, yeah, it, it sucked. I should have gone somewhere where I could have just done whatever I wanted for three years and then gone to the NFL. You know, word spreads. It's, it's a lot easier for that kind of stuff to get around now than it ever was before. So that that's part of the calculation that you have to make. That's why you see, quote-unquote, players coaches 
having you know such a greater impact now in college football than they used to because we talk about it in pro sports and it's not exactly the same with college football because it's not traditional free agency and there's not technically legally money involved but we're in the player empowerment era across all sports and that includes college football and that uh, that impacts recruiting so you have to take that into consideration so i mean i think that's a good point and the other part that you kind of touched on there just in terms of the expectation that Clowney had coming in in terms of the fan base Look at the rest of this group. I don't know anything about George Rogers' recruitment, but I don't think when he set foot on campus, anyone expected him to rush for over 5,000 yards and win a Heisman Trophy. I don't think anyone expected Stephon Gilmore to be, I don't know, he probably had an All-SEC in there and uh, NFL Defensive Player of the Year and to be the catalyst for, again, the boom in talent, the likes of which South Carolina had never and has never since seen before. Alshon Jeffrey had that really nice game his freshman year against Kentucky, but nobody expected him to be somebody that, I mean, became arguably the greatest receiver in school history. Marcus Lattimore, he had high expectations. He was a five-star guy. He was the best running back in the country. And even still, he exceeded that. Part of, part of that is because he, I mean, frankly, he became a martyr after the injury. And then everything that he's done for the community in terms of his nonprofit work, in terms of you know just coming back into the community and, and coaching at a local high school and then being a part of the South Carolina football staff, I think that has superseded any sort of statistical disappointment that the fan base would have experienced. Connor Shaw, nobody expected him when he set foot on campus to, to be a guy that was going to change the program and be the winningest quarterback in program history. Again, I don't know about Sterling Sharp. That was a long time ago. Melvin Ingram, we saw him transform from rotational defensive lineman. I, I watched the 2010 Alabama game the other day because Eric Kimry and I did sort of a rewatchables on that game. And he was like the sixth or seventh lineman on that team. And, and he was good. But again, nobody expected him to become what he became to become a cornerstone player for a, for a good defense in the NFL and to have almost 20 sacks in his last two seasons. The point is, everybody else on this list is beloved, is amazing, but importantly, exceeded expectations one way or the other. Again, the only person that sticks out as not exceeding expectations in terms of productivity is Marcus Lattimore, and that was because of injury. And because of that, he became a martyr and is just such a good and well-liked and visible person that people but, people give it to him. And, and for Clowney... He was, I mean, he was screwed from the beginning if that's going to be how you're comparing him because he lived up to his expectations, which almost never happens, as we pointed out with the fact that he's the only guy in the last 20 years to be a number one overall recruit and a number one overall draft pick. So he was never going to be able to exceed those expectations. That he met them was incredible. And it's unfortunate, but this is how this thing kind of, this is how this kind of thing goes. He never could have wowed Carolina fans the way that Melvin Ingram did with his development, the way that you know Marcus Lattimore did with the impact that he had, the way that Alshon Jeffrey did with his development, Connor Shaw with his development. He met expectations, and that's not as fun a story, and it's not as emotional for fans as the story of, wow, backup quarterback, and now he's the winningest quarterback in school history, you know? Yeah, and I, but I, I will say, I, I think of those guys um... – Marcus was the only other one that I be, I believe in, and Chris, you can hop in here too. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, I remember when Marcus Lattimore arrived on campus. Um, to me, that was probably, I would say, almost up there, if not on the same scale as far as expectations um, with Jadavian Clowney. Um, you know, like I, I – I think he came in with the weight of the like, with the weight of the state on his shoulders. If you were a Gamecock fan, and and yeah, I mean, were the numbers obviously lower than they would have been if he hadn't gotten hurt? Yes, but he's 
I mean, the guy still rushed for over 2,600 yards and, what do we say, 38 career rushing touchdowns and uh, three receiving touchdowns. I mean, so, so the numbers were still there. Um, but I, And I don't even know this talking. I don't know if I really have a point to everything I'm saying. But um, I, I would say of, of all the guys we're talking about, I would throw like Connor Shaw and probably Melvin Ingram into that category of completely – just blasted through their expectations. And then I would put, you know, Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, South Carolina beat Southern Cal for Alshon Jeffrey. I, I remember when he, the day he flipped from Southern Cal to South Carolina, um, you know, there, there were very high expectations for this kid. Now, was it quite maybe on the Lattimore or Clowney level? Probably not. But I, I remember, I mean, Lattimore was a top 10 guy. Um, everybody had been hearing about him, you know, since he, I believe, was a sophomore in high school and um, the expectations were huge. And I, I would still say he, he met those expectations and um, a little quick story. Chris, Chris, do you, do you remember, uh, and you know how over time, like you think you remember something exactly how it happened, um, but your brain maybe builds it up more or adds in like fuzzy details and stuff like that. Um, I remember back and this is when practices were completely open at the beginning of fall camp um one of marcus Lattimore's first practices at south carolina they were doing goal line um and i'm I'm probably going to get hate mail from dj swearinger for telling this story but um this is the way i remember it i remember that so marcus Lattimore was sort of the talk of camp everybody wanted to see marcus Lattimore, and um they were doing goal line, but they weren't tackling to the ground. And um, so, of course, DJ Swearinger is the leader of the South Carolina defense at, at that time. And um, he – so they, they run a play. DJ comes up and, and pops Lattimore and, and basically puts him on his tail. Um, again, they, it was kind of like a message sent from the defense. Um very next play, or a couple plays later, Lattimore gets the ball, hits the hole. Um, and, you know, the first one was kind of like a welcome to college football, I think, moment, like you're not in high school anymore. Um, and Lattimore wasn't expecting it. You know, a couple plays later, Lattimore hits the hole, puts his head down, puts his shoulder right in the chest of Swearinger, and drives him back into the end zone. And the entire offense just goes nuts, just goes like jumping up and down, goes insane, um, talking crap, et cetera, et cetera. And in that in that exact moment, I was like, this kid has it. It was one play on a random practice that really meant nothing in the grand scheme of things. Um, but the way I remember it watching right then, I was like, man, this kid isn't just a five-star talent. Like, he's got an it factor. He's got a leadership ability. There was something about Marcus Lattimore that just made people follow him and that just he, he was able to force his teammates to sort of rise up around him. And um, I think that factor, that gravitational pull, is what put Marcus Lattimore um, or then maybe a Connor Shaw above some other guys on this list in people's heads just because they, I believe, could, could sense that um, when they watch them play.
Yeah, and, and people were so invested in Marcus because he, you know, he hit the radar so early in the recruiting process. He's an in-state guy. Pe- people tend to have an automatic gravitation towards an in-state guy. You know, Con- Connor Shaw's legend grew over time because of what he did and the success they had. You know, when he when he came in, you know, on the road against Auburn in 2010 and almost led the team back against Cam Newton through that pick late, you know, came in for Garcia, relieved him. You know, when he when he started the East Carolina game that year, you know, he he wasn't he wasn't the Connor Shaw. You know, Marcus Lattimore was sort of all, Marcus Lattimore from the moment he hit campus. And he, you're right. I mean, Pearson's right that he, you know, the injuries held him back to what he could have been, but he still did some awesome things. Um, he still set some records in basically two seasons or whatever it was competition when you add up all the games. And the, people were really invested in an in-state kid. You know, Carolina had been involved, what, I guess since his sophomore year. You know, they're battling Auburn. They're battling Oregon, Penn State, Clemson, a bunch of other schools. He's one of the – he's a top ten recruit nationally. And people were counting on him as being, you know – this is a guy that can, you know, Jadavion Clowney's a defensive player. He can, he could and did dominate the game in certain ways. But when you got a guy who can touch the ball, whether it's a quarterback, running back, receiver, running back's going to touch the ball a lot. A quarterback's going to touch the ball every play. And when you get a potentially transcendent player at one of those positions, I think people automatically gravitate towards that. And then he was just a great kid. I mean, there's just all these different factors that added up to it. And so I think that's why people, you know, we'll always put him on a on a pedestal, and rightfully so. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and go to the Lattimore matchup. We'll skip Sharp and Shaw and come back and finish with that one for our round two matchups. And, and, and by the way, closing the book on Clowney Ingram, that's a 3-0 vote. Y'all cool with that? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. All right, Lattimore versus Alshon. It sounds like as much as we've been talking about Lattimore, it's going to end up being Lattimore. I think that's the right choice, but we're talking about the best wide receiver in school history against the second-best running back in school history. Wes, when I frame it like that, does that make you any more inclined to pick Alshon? Um, Say that sentence again? We're pitting the number one wide receiver in school history against the number two running back in school history. Does framing it like that make you want to pick Alshon over Marcus? Well, I I think you'd probably have some people argue about whether Alshon was was truly number one at receiver as well. Jay Phillips probably being one of them, but uh, <laughs> but but no, I, I mean I, I still for for all the reasons we talked about it, as awesome as Alshon was, and th- there's a reason he's still um, you know doing what he's doing right now in the NFL. Uh, just was amazing ball skills, completely off the charts. Um, for all the reasons that I talked about in my 30 minute diatribe a few minutes ago, I'm going Mark Slidemore. Well, that was what, his sophomore year that he had like 1,500 receiving yards and probably should have been in consideration for the Heisman Trophy. And I've, I've heard Will Helms make a very compelling case for why he should have won the Heisman Trophy that year. That Chris, does that, I mean, does that change anything about how you're thinking about this matchup or are you just solidly Marcus all the way? Nah, I'd, I'd still would have to be solidly Marcus on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah, it's tough. He's he's probably gonna win the whole thing. I'm tough. I'm gonna throw tough. a vote Alshon's way because this one should finish two to one because Alshon is I don't know is he the most underappreciated guy on this entire list? 
George Rogers, Stephon Gilmore, Alshon, Jeffrey, Marcus Lattimore, Connor Shaw, Sterling Sharp, Melvin Ingram, Jadavian Clowney. I see the most underappreciated. Dude was unbelievable. He was the best receiver in all of college football his sophomore year. I mean, I, I don't yeah, think he's I can, underappreciated. I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate him greatly. It's just you're you're going up <laughs> against Marcus Lattimore, <laughs> and I and and I I'm not I I don't know who's going to win this thing honestly. Um, do, do people go with the high? Now I, I think I think it's going to be I, Asia I, Wilson versus Marcus Lattimore in the finals. I don't know, man. A lot of people are voting Connor Shaw. Yeah, that's what that's, I, was I think. Say. Connor yeah, I think, has a chance. And I think it's going to be our people, elite eight matchup. A lot of people are are ticked with Colin for having Shaw as a six seed. <laughs> so people are just pulling for their own version of the Cinderella story with this. Yeah, well, I mean, I I just think Connor, um, when you play that, when you play the quarterback position, um, every, I mean, everybody saw what he did, but it, it's about what the team did when he was the guy. I, I think that just um, that gives you an extra boost. So I, I, I don't know who's going to win the thing, man. I, uh, I could see it going any number of ways. I mean, George is a one seed. Um, Asia is very loved, obviously. Um, but Connor, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Connor won the whole thing, honestly. All right, well, let's see if he's going to win our entire thing. Right now, the popular vote, the Sweet 16 on the football quadrant of the bracket is George Rogers versus Marcus Lattimore and Connor Shaw versus Jadavian Clowney. We have also chosen George Rogers and Marcus Lattimore. We have also chosen Jadavian Clowney, but our last second-round matchup to pick is Connor Shaw versus Sterling Sharp. Is Connor Shaw going to be the representative in the Sweet 16 from this matchup, Chris? Yes, I would say so. Um, I mean, Sterling was, man, he was good. I mean, I don't think, and I'm one of them because I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't see him, you know, uh, in that prime, you know, but people who were younger, you know, won't be able to fully appreciate Sterling Sharp. And, you know, we could have Jay on and do another, like a, probably a two-hour podcast on it, break our own record on Definitely. it. Um, with having him talk about Sterling Sharp uh, or any, you know, Gamecock fan who was around then who could see him play and some of the things he's done. I mentioned on, on a recent pod we did that Brett Favre said Sterling Sharp was one of the best receivers he'd ever played with. Dude was unbelievable. But I, I just think, you know, part of it, okay, so there's some recency bias that comes in. There's also some, hey, Connor Shaw was on a great team. I mean, those defenses that he played with were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some really, really good offensive players with him, one of them being Marcus Lattimore. Played with Jadavion Clowney. I mean, you got Bruce Ellington, Ace Sanders, Alshon Jeffrey. Just stacked with talent. But Connor Shaw himself was also really, really good. And he had, he, you know, the success against Clemson. He was sort of unflappable. He's a great competitor. He's still around the university and visible. So I think all those things weigh into it for me as well. And so I, I would go Connor for that reason. One vote for Connor. Wes, where are you going with this? <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, to Chris's point, I mean, what what are what are we using to vote? Like, mm-hmm. is this a popularity contest? Is uh, is this the literal best player? <laughs> like, literally the best player? Like for just like your eyes, you know what I mean? Is right. this the most uh, productive player? Right. Um. So, like, so many different ways you could go with it. Um, popularity. You know, Con- Connor Shaw. Um. Is going to win that vote every time right now you know in the year 2020 Mm -hmm. 
is it far closer than the actual vote would be as far as them as players? I mean, absolutely, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm leaning, I guess I'm going to go Shaw, but I, I do think if you were making a case for just literal talent, I mean, Sterling Sharp's number is retired for a reason at South Carolina. Right. Uh, this guy was an All-American. I, I think I think Connor Shaw um, was the best at taking everything around him and being um, the straw that stirred the drink. Um, but also, he, he benefited greatly at the quarterback position from the guys he did have around him. Um, so, pure player, I, I probably go Sterling Sharp, but uh, based on everything else and the winning, you you probably edge out uh, with, with Connor Shaw. To your point, what makes a player great? Is it winning or is it statistics or is it some combination of those things? If it's statistics, then it's Sterling Sharp. If it's winning, then it's Connor Shaw. And how do you blend those things? Connor Shaw, trivia, which, whichever one of you, both of you answer at the same time. How many seasons did Connor Shaw have over – 2,000 total yards. So, Just two. God. Only threw for two plus thousand yards one season. That was a senior year. He threw for 2,447. Uh, his sophomore, or excuse me, his junior year, he threw for just under 2,000 and added another 400 on the ground, so that got him over 2,000. But not statistically great seasons. Now, you do look at his senior year and say he had 31 total touchdowns to com- compared to just one interception, which is ridiculous. He had 24 passing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns, and, of course, that receiving touchdown. That was in the bowl game, right? And that's his best statistical season. That's not great for a quarterback. That's why he's not on most of the leaderboards for South Carolina passing stats, you know, for completions, for touchdown passes, for yards, for things like that. He was never that guy, but there was something about him, about his leadership. You used the word unflappable, Wes. I think that's part of the mystique, part of the legend of Connor Shaw. I think that his senior year was so prolific that he was able to eclipse 30 touchdowns, that he was so safe with the football. Coupled with the winning pushes Shaw over the edge for me. But Sterling's career statistically was so good. I don't know. And, and, and you're right. Like all, None of the three of us got to watch Sterling Sharp, at least not that we remember, right? Right. So it, it's hard for us. Maybe we're not the best representation in terms of like age distribution on this podcast, but I'm going to go Shaw. It's going to be a three Oh sweep. I, I, I think if it had just, if his saw, if his senior year had been just like his junior year where he had fewer than 2000 passing yards and 400 rushing yards and, you know, 20 touchdowns, seven picks his junior year. I may have given my vote to Sterling because he was so good and he was so dynamic and so explosive and so good statistically. But I feel like Shaw's senior year puts him over the edge, the winning coupled with the really, really nice statistical year. I got to give it to Shaw, which means we also have Clowney versus Shaw, Rogers versus Lattimore, and the Elite Eight. We'll discuss that. Maybe we'll do the Elite Eight and the Final Four next week because I think the voting will be at that point. So we'll be able to see which football player is representing or which football player is being represented in the Final Four. Anything else y'all wanted to mention with the bracket today before we get out of here? Well, I was just going to say for me, Pearson, it. Yeah, there, there's no, like, except maybe a senior year, there's no individual season that's, like, 
a Johnny Manziel or or a Cam Newton type season. Um, but but one thing that that does sort of make Shaw's numbers pop a little bit more is the fact you know add in what he did as a passer and then throw in the almost 1,700 yards rushing in his career um, and the 17 touchdowns rushing in his career. Um, so, you know, his final year, like you said, 30 total touchdowns or 31 total touchdowns if you include the reception, mm-hmm. just the one pick. I think his ability as a passer um, just grew. I mean, like Chris was talking about earlier, when Connor Shaw first started out, um, and debuted for South Carolina, he, he wasn't Connor Shaw yet. You know, like this wasn't a five-star guy. We, we saw him. I, I mean, I very distinctly remember uh, a probably somewhat small, but a vocal portion of the fan base wanting Dylan Thompson as the guy um, after seeing what he could do when Connor was banged up, you know, when Connor was a junior. Yeah, that ended up being, and, not being a bad pick either. Guy that owns a single season passing record still. Yeah, yeah, and, and Dylan, you know, was outstanding as a senior. And you know, Connor, I, I remember people saying Connor doesn't take enough chances uh, as far as putting the ball down the field. He, you know, he dumps the ball off underneath. Um, I, I think it was his for me. It was his senior year when we saw Connor Shaw um, take his the passing game to another level and showed that not only could he still run the ball when needed? Not only could he, you know, just dump it off when nothing was there, but the ability to throw the football down the seams, to throw it down the field, um, you know, to let his receivers run under the deep ball, stuff like that. Um, it, it just all clicked in. And then, hey, only one interception as well. To to have one interception, most of the time, if the quarterback had one interception, that would mean he was not being – aggressive enough in the passing game you know in my opinion but i i distinctly remember connor shaw taking some more chances as a senior getting the ball down the field throwing the ball in the intermediate areas and still only throwing one interception um that's insane so i think the thing connor has going for him as a player is that there was just this steady progression um from freshman to sophomore sophomore to junior and the junior to senior he put it all together um, not many guys have a progression where it's just uh, up the entire way. You know, it's up and down and all over the place, and um, th- there's not consistency to the progression. And I-, I think the thing you can say about Connor is that he consistently progressed throughout his entire career in South Carolina. That helps the narrative, which helps the emotional draw. Again, it's context, it's it's development, it's expectation, it's all of those things. And Connor Shaw, I mean, you're right, I'm I- I still think Lattimore will win. I expect the if it comes to Lattimore versus Shaw, I expect it to be close. But I, I think what Lattimore has meant, the fact that he's a local kid, the fact that he stayed around, that he came back to South Carolina, again, everything that he's done with his nonprofit in the area, I, I think that will give him the edge because it's even a little bit more, I guess, narrative boost coupled with a better statistical career, I think is fair to say, even though he only played basically two full seasons, as Chris mentioned. But um, I, I don't know. I'm, very, I'm fascinated to see the matchup, and I, I'm curious – how we will vote next week in the Sweet 16 if Marcus Lattimore will even get there because he's got to go up against the number one seed, George Rogers, which is, I mean, unbelievable. I'm not going to spoil any of that conversation because I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be a long one. Uh, Guys, I appreciate you letting me go long today. I know you all are busy as ever despite the fact that we're in quarantine. And, of course, thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. And if you haven't voted, go vote. 
not just on the football portion of the bracket, but men's and women's basketball are combined into one quadrant. There's other sports, and then there's baseball. The other sports, football, actually, they're all in the Sweet 16 right now. So go vote on the Sweet 16 round of this bracket, the Fighting Gamecock Forum. That's free on GamecockCentral.com. Also, just be an insider because there's a ton of content coming out. Um, But even if you're not, subscribe to the newsletter, go vote on the bracket, and keep listening to this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends, rate it, review it, subscribe to it. Got a lot of stuff going on right now. Wilhelm's doing his draft breakdowns. We're going position group by position group. Uh, one a week between now and the draft. We did the defensive line earlier this week, so if you want to hear what Will Helms thinks about Javon Kinlaw and DJ Wanham, where those guys may end up getting drafted, go check out that podcast. It's Gamecock Central GM right on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Kyle and Taylor and I will be back tomorrow with another episode of The Hard Foul, continuing the offseason conversation for South Carolina basketball and delving a little bit into the basketball side of the bracket. For Wes, for Chris, I'm Pearson. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep, in-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.